This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code SACS at checkout to get 10% off. This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. Then we look to experts and listeners like you for the answers. This episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. This week's question is, how can we evolve porn in a way that benefits everybody? I'm Emma Gray, the executive women's editor here at HuffPost and the co-host of a snarky feminist bachelor-themed podcast called Here to Make Friends, which we do here, and it's the best. Yay, we're so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. I recently had the chance to collaborate with Emma Gray on a multimedia piece on Tumblr porn. And the article did so well and garnered so much attention that I wanted to invite her onto our podcast to discuss it. What are some of the biggest issues with mainstream porn or, you know, non-Tumblr porn that, that you've seen? And how is Tumblr different than those? So some of the things that the women I spoke to said were that more mainstream porn sites in their mind were kind of built around the needs of straight men and their desires. Even porn that was perhaps labeled as porn for women or lesbian porn was still ultimately about the male gaze and the desires of these men and what these men think women want, which maybe doesn't actually line up with what women actually want. And on Tumblr, because it's so individually curated— And because you can pretty easily figure out which search terms kind of correspond to the things you want to see, it's a lot easier to filter out the things you don't want to see and only have these kind of bite-sized pieces of imagery that really get to your own desires. What about the other side of the coin? So for artists or pornographers themselves, what does Tumblr offer to them that's different than what they could get from you know, a straightforward website or other ways of distribution? I'd say exposure is the biggest thing. Obviously, monetization is a little bit more difficult, which probably brings up industry issues that I didn't really dive into. Uh, But if you're someone who is an artist or a curator or a pornographer and you want to reach a wider audience, Tumblr is a really incredible option for that because you have all sorts of people who aren't necessarily going to these more mainstream porn sites or seeking out specific pornographers who might stumble upon what you're doing on Tumblr. So it's like a gateway drug for pornography. Exactly, but a really safe and awesome one. (laughs) You get a taste and then you maybe go back for more. (laughs) Exactly. zooming out a little bit, what other changes would you want to see in the porn industry in general? I think just variety. And making sure, as in any industry, that you have women and queer people and people of color kind of leading the charge. Uh, I think, unfortunately, like any big business, you still have a lot of white straight men, older 
white straight men who are kind of controlling the purse strings. And that trickles down and ends up dictating what is defined as desirable. And that's a big problem, especially when young people are increasingly getting their sexual education from porn and aren't necessarily getting media literacy training. When you talk about those, you know, straight white men who control a lot of mainstream porn, what do you think that they can learn from Tumblr porn? You know, what should they take away from this? What would you say, like, here are a couple things that I wish they would realize? I think it's mostly just about expanding the idea of what sexy means and maybe focusing a little bit more on female pleasure, a little bit more on genuine shots or focusing a little bit more on seeing things that women might actually get off to in real life, you know, oral sex on a woman. That's a big thing. And maybe a fewer cum shots, although some women like that. But I think a lot of these more kind of graphic depictions that seem to denigrate women and don't necessarily build up their pleasure, a lot of women don't want to see that. I don't want to make any generalizations because I think that the variety of what women want to see is just as vast as the variety of what men want to see. But I think women in general would like to see a premium put on their pleasure. According to an article from Sarah Perez at TechCrunch, 16% of the content viewed on Tumblr falls into the pornographic category. But we're curious, where else are people getting porn? And how will that change in the future? So in this episode, we're speaking with two women who are evolving porn technically and ethically for the benefit and entertainment of everyone. The first woman we're speaking with is Cindy Gallup. But to be clear, she's not doing anything with porn. She's the founder of Make Love Not Porn, a site that seeks to differentiate between porn and sex. Make Love Not Porn's tagline is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And that really says it all, to be honest. Make Love Not Porn's entire mission is purely and simply to help make it easier to talk about sex. I've spent 30 years working in advertising, in the business of communication. I know that everything great in life and business is born out of great communication. Sex is no different. Great sex is born out of great communication. Great sex makes for great happiness in human lives. And that's what we're all about at Make Love Not Born. So what inspired you to launch it? How did you end up with Make Love Not Porn? Well, it comes out of direct personal experience. I date younger men who tend to be men in their 20s. And about nine or 10 years ago now, and so bear in mind, this is before the media ever picked up on any of this, I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering an issue that would quite honestly never have crossed my mind if I had not encountered it so very intimately and personally. I realized I was encountering what happens when two things converge, when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. The convergence of both of those factors results in porn becoming by default the sex education today in not a good way. And so I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes. I went, whoa, I know where that behavior is coming from. 
And I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. And being a very action-oriented person, I went, I want to do something about this. And so that's where MakeLoveNotPorn.com came from. So as a young-ish person, at least relative to you, Noah, uh, (laughs) I I probably have more experience as a younger woman dating or hooking up with older men. I don't think I've ever dated someone who's younger than me. But I have seen a phenomenon as of late where a lot of guys my age are actively seeking out older women. A lot of my mom's friends are actively seeking out younger men. Do you think it's the same in the gay community? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the whole daddy thing where, like, young guys are looking for older guys to hook up with or to date. You see that a lot in porn, too. Right. It's interesting, too, because I'm thinking about this in terms of we're mostly talking about um, straight porn right now or we're talking about maybe lesbian porn, but we're not really talking about male-on-male porn. And I think a lot of this applies, though. I think in the same ways that a lot of mainstream porn only – shows and showcases a certain type of body or, you know, it's a white body, it's a it's a toned body. You see that too in gay porn. And so to have people who are actually looking for ways to involve more types of bodies, more types of, you know, interests, that's important for gay porn too, I think. So you actually launched Make Love Not Porn with your TED Talk on the subject, which garnered over one million video views. What sort of feedback did you get? Sure. So um, so I launched MakeLoveNotPorn.com, um, the original tiny, clunky, no-money, porn world versus real world site, with a talk at TED, which I had been going to for a number of years. And I took a deliberate decision to be very explicit in my TED talk because I knew that audience would not get this issue unless I was very straightforward about it. As a result, I am the only TED speaker to have uttered the words on the TED stage, come on my face, um, six times in succession. And the talk went viral as a result. But the most extraordinary thing is that every single day in the eight years since that talk, and this is ongoing, I have received thousands of emails to my Make Love Not Porn inbox, and they come from everybody. Even before the actual site that I'd put up, what amazes people is simply the fact I stood on stage in public, I talked about I'm doing something about what everybody knows and no one ever speaks about. And as a result, people feel able to tell me anything. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to a huge untapped global social need. So I always have to emphasize Make Love Not Porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is this total absence in our society of an open, healthy, honest conversation around sex in the real world which if we had it would, among so many other benefits, also mean people then bring a real-world mindset when they view what is simply artificial entertainment. So our mission at Make Love Not Porn is purely to help make it easier to talk about sex. Talk about sex openly and honestly in the public domain, and importantly, talk about it openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. How are you working to achieve this mission? So what I decided to do was to take every dynamic that exists out there in social media currently and apply them to the one area that no other social network or platform is ever going to go in order to socialize sex and to make real world sex and the discussion around it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. And so that's how MakeLoveNotPorn.tv came into being. So how does this work? What is your video collection like? 
So Make Love Not Porn.tv is an entirely user-generated, crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real world sex. So anybody from anywhere in the world can submit videos of themselves having real world sex. And we are very clear what we mean by this. We're not porn. We're not amateur. We're building a whole new category on the internet that doesn't currently exist, social sex. So our competition isn't porn, it's Facebook and YouTube. Or it would be if Facebook and YouTube allowed sexual self-expression and self-identification, which they don't. So real-world sex videos make love, not porn, are not about performing for the camera. They're simply about doing what you do on every other social platform, which is capturing what goes on in the real world as it happens in all its funny, messy, glorious, wonderful, silly, beautiful humanness. And so we curate. We watch every video to make sure it's real. We don't publish it unless it is. We spent years concepting Make Love Not Porn TV before we ever built and launched it because when you are inviting people to do something they've never done before, share their real-world sex socially. Um, we thought through every possible ramification of how to create a completely safe, trustworthy space in which to do that. Absolutely. What has the response been to the user-generated videos? First of all, real-world sex is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real-world everything. So we celebrate real-world bodies. We celebrate real-world hair. Real-world curves, real-world penis size, real-world breast size. So, you know, everybody is beautiful when they're having real-world sex. You know, this is not impossibly attainable body types that make you feel shit about your own body. Right. Okay, this is people like you having glorious, wonderful sex, having a wonderful time. Um, we celebrate real-world accidents, messiness, ridiculous. You know, have a laugh. You know, if you can't laugh at yourselves when you're having sex, when can you? Right. You know, we celebrate all of that, the ridiculous things that happen. Um, one very um, important fact is that, and again, you, you will not see this to the same degree anywhere else on the internet, is we celebrate real-world feelings. We celebrate love, intimacy, emotion. Our members write to us and to our Make Love Not Porn stars, and they say things like, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. Mm. I saw the way you looked at each other. You know, um, I saw you look into each other's eyes. I want to meet somebody and have that too. I mean, that, that it, our videos are profoundly moving because of that. It makes sense to me as a next step. I mean, we share so much of our lives on social media. Why not share sex videos? But I am curious, Mr. Michelson... Would you make a love not porn video? I'm not sure. So I have no problem being naked. I feel like I've, you know, spent a lot of money on these tattoos and I waste a lot of time in the gym. So why not? But the thing about having sex on film for me is that I think that I'm not sure I want to see myself doing it. I think that I make weird noises and I'm doing weird things, not more than any other person probably, but I think to actually see myself doing it you know what, though? Maybe it would be a good thing. Well, that's actually interesting because that's what Cindy said. Where When you're watching Make Love Not Porn videos, you hear people making weird noises. Right. You see the things that you have in your normal sex life. So it actually matches up. It's not this, like, unattainable thing that you can't. Right. Yeah. I guess the thing, though, there is a jump between making a video for yourself and your partner or for yourself and someone else and then posting that video. Right. And letting everyone else see it. Right. That's such an intimate experience. Right. But also probably would be good for me. I, can I'm we, surprised. Can I we, thought you can were going to. Can we gonna... leave it at just, <laughs> I'll think about it? Would you make one? No. But okay. not, you, you know what? When Cindy was here and I was talking to her, 
and she first came in, I was like, I've, I've always really like appreciated and liked her work, but I'm like, you know what, lady, I'm never going to make a sex tape. And then afterwards, I was like, I really want to make a sex tape. Right, let's and then, do it. I, and then I was like, no, you know, I thought about it for a little while, and it, and it was like, no, no, I don't. But I think the reality is that the, my major hesitation is from a professional perspective. Mm. Like, I mean, I host this podcast, I do whatever else, but to actually be in a sex tape that I'm then personally actively posting online and making money off of, it's just a little bit too close to porn star. I think. But two things about that. That's because we have a stigma attached to being a porn right, star. Right, we do. And also don't forget that Kim Kardashian started her career with a sex tape. So this could be well, the beginning of a brand new career I'm, for you. I'm not looking to go down Kim Kardashian's path as shocking as that so may seem. So to speak. We also should mention that one of the most unfortunate aspects about this concept is that it's been very difficult for Cindy to fundraise. It's also been difficult for her to collect revenue and share it with performers because very few to zero venture capitalists and payment platforms want to be associated with adult content for some of the reasons we were just talking about. In my opinion, it's another clear example of why we need to destigmatize sex. Our mission at Make Love Not Porn is to take the shame and embarrassment out of sex, to make it easier to talk about sex in a way that will address what lies at the heart of so many social evils, what lies at the heart of rape culture, sexual abuse, sexual violence, and many, many unhappy relationships and marriages and enormous human unhappiness generally. When you take the shame and embarrassment out of sex, you completely defuse revenge porn, and you defuse many other things that are currently making people utterly miserable. Coming up on the Love and Sex podcast, we'll hear from a woman who is taking porn to new dimensions. She's a porn pioneer, and you won't want to miss it. Speaking of new frontiers, have you checked out iTunes? It's one of the best places to find podcasts, including this one. And if you find Love and Sex on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and give us a review to let us know what you think. Each time we get a new review or rating, our podcast climbs the rankings, which helps other people discover our show. You can also shoot us an email. We love hearing feedback and new ideas for episodes. So if you have a question or an idea, shoot us an email at loveandsexpodcast.huffingtonpost.com. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. You know, Karina, I think sometimes people think that websites are just for companies or maybe their hobbies, but there are so many reasons to make your own Squarespace site. In fact, I have a friend who's graduating from Parsons this year, and instead of creating a traditional portfolio for all the work he's done, he actually made a Squarespace site. Yeah, I think digital portfolios are sort of the new must-have. I mean, as director of multimedia here, I don't think I'd even consider a candidate that didn't apply with a digital portfolio. So I guess a note to anyone who's listening who wants to work for Karina, <laughs> start building your digital portfolio now and use Squarespace to do it. The sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level, and there's no coding required. Squarespace is also intuitive and has easy-to-use tools to help show off your beautiful work in a beautiful way. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So start your free trial site today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SEX to get 10% off of your first purchase. That's S-E-X, SEX, for 10% off your first purchase.
I met Ella Darling through a friend of mine who makes lesbian porn. She said that if we wanted to know what the future of porn is, we needed to speak with Ella. Before breaking into porn, Ella Darling was, get this, a librarian. And once you meet her, it isn't difficult to imagine her surrounded by books. But it's just as easy to imagine her welcoming viewers into her bedroom, which she does, as one of the co-founders of VRTube.XXX and a pioneer in the burgeoning world of virtual reality porn. So I guess just to start, give us the very basics on what virtual reality porn is, what it looks like. So virtual reality porn is pornography made to be viewed on a virtual reality headset, which could be the Oculus Rift, the HTC Vive, um, Samsung uh, Gear VR, um, there's Google Cardboard, there's infinite, just more and more every day of these devices that you just attach to a phone and and go. Um, So it's something made for that, and it's typically... an entirely immersive experience where you're in this headset and it transports you to some new place, Um, maybe the Eiffel Tower or some mountains or under the sea. But in my case, it transports you to my bedroom. Mm. And you're in a 3D, 360 representation of the place that I live. And um, you look around, you see my bedroom, you see the nerdy art on the walls and and all the things that make me me. And you really feel like you're in this new space with with a person. Um, And that's Kind of what VR porn is. So what are some of the possibilities with VR porn that aren't there with just regular porn? What makes VR porn sort of the next level? So a lot of porn is shot in what's called POV style, uh, first-person perspective, sort of. And um, with VR, you really feel like you're that person. Uh, when you see a girl going down on the dick in the video, it's very easy to imagine that is your dick typically, depending on body types and and everything. Um, I actually stay away from that approach just because I want to be as representative as possible, and I don't want someone to look down and be like, well, I guess I'm a white guy today. Right. You know? Um, But, yeah, so so there's that. Um, Just feeling like you're in a space with people rather than just watching them on a screen. It's incredibly compelling. It's very intimate. So VR porn, it just takes everything that you would enjoy from regular porn and it amplifies it. So I'd never used a VR headset before. It was pretty cool. Basically, Ella brought a headset with her and she put her phone into the front of it and then put the headset on my head. And you really feel like you're in another world. This world happened to be Ella's bedroom. So if I looked to my right or my left, I would see the furniture she had in her bedroom. I could see the art on her walls. And it was a totally immersive experience. So now let's get back to my interview with Ella. I mean, it's almost beyond, it's real in some ways. I mean, you have the headset, you're with this person. I guess, too, we should talk about the difference between recorded porn and then I'm assuming at some point then there'll be the potential for this all to be live as well, right? That's what I do. I'm the world's first VR cam girl. Okay, And um, we made the first live cam platform in VR, and we're about to launch a new one, which is really, really cool. Um, So the difference with the pre-recorded stuff, it's very cool, and it feels like you're in a real experience, but you're watching something that is being presented to you. You're just a passive participant. Mm -hmm. And with live stuff, it accelerates the connection between people and my experience. So I've I've cammed in 2D regular approaches for, for years, and I would notice sort of um, the, the pattern of relationship development with my clients and with my users. And usually we would bond pretty quickly through, you know, the sexual experience, but then an emotional 
and personal connection would form over time, over weeks of talking to each other and personal disclosure and sharing vulnerabilities. And with VR, because you feel like you're really just in the same room with a person, you don't feel like you're looking at a character on a screen. You feel like this person is really in front of you. I mean, when you're in my cam feed in VR, I am the only thing that you're seeing. You're completely immersed. I'm dominating your worldview. I'm I'm everything. And so you feel really connected much more quickly. And so it just really amplified that connection. What do you say to people who worry about this and say, I even remember when the movie Her came out, um, where, you know, it was talking about how people were going to have like artificial intelligence relationships. And people said, well, that's a bad idea because if people stop interacting in real life, that gets dangerous. And all of a sudden we don't know how to actually socialize with real people. And so these kind of relationships, we need to be careful with them. What would you say to someone who, who had that point of view? I think that Intimate relationships are always going to be very valuable. Um, Even when you're interacting with an AI character, when that's a thing that's going to be very accessible, at least from my perspective, I'm always going to feel a little bit more validated when there's a real human there, when, like, existentially, I feel connected to another person in this universe and I I don't feel alone. Um, I don't know. With AI, if that means that you can have whatever crafted sexual experience you want and you don't have to freaking annoy a sex worker with all of your very particular demands that are never really able to be met. I think VR is just an extension of that kind of thing. Walk me through what a session would be like with you. So I have the headset on and I can see you in your bedroom. What happens then? So with my VR cam stream, you would log in. You appear at the foot of my bed in my bedroom and the way the technology is right now, you're kind of stationary there. You can't like walk around my room just yet but soon we'll be able to to make that happen. Um, so you're at the foot of my bed. I'm in front of you. You can speak to me using your microphone if we're in a one-on-one private chat. So we can have a direct verbal conversation. Um, and we just talk. I mean, it really is up to the user. Um, a lot of the time, they just want to get to know me. They just want to kind of experience what it's like to talk to somebody who does what I do. Um, or if there are certain sexual requests, they'll, they'll make those requests. Or we'll have that discussion. I'll, I'll t- generally guide the direction of the conversation that way. Can you see the viewer or what are you looking at? I'm just looking at my camera. I don't see the viewer. Um, and the reason why you can't really do a like one-to-one sort of stream like that is because we would both have these big headsets on our faces, which is why I'm very eager to get rid of the big bulky headsets and either have something small or a contact lens sort of thing. But um, but So I don't see the viewer, but they see me. I can hear them if they choose to talk to me in that way. And we talk and we just connect the same way that I would talk to. It's kind of like a first date, but it's like a first date that is guaranteed to be more pleasant because we're both there for the same reason. We both have the same, typically the same expectations. Um, I'm there to get naked, so you don't have to worry that I'm going to reject you in that way. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of a lot of them, though. A lot of the experience I've, experiences I've had, they just want to talk. They just want to connect. Um, it's It's definitely a sexual uh, thing, but so much of what I do, I would say 80% of the stuff I do on cam is just like therapy almost, like just connecting with someone emotionally and hearing them and and making them feel heard and, and recognized and like somebody out in the world knows their experience and gives a shit. Ella's last point reminds me of something Cindy said, and I want to share it because one of the most promising aspects of VR porn, in my opinion at least, is its ability to induce empathy. 
years ago, um, Charlie Glickman, who I'm a huge fan of, um, he's a sex educator blogger. He wrote a fantastic blog post called How Pegging Can Help Save the World. And at Make Love Not Porn, we share Charlie's post regularly because we love it so much. In fact, we um, just, um, our last but one edition or Make Love Not Porn was Make Pegging Love Not Porn. We had an edition um, purely of pegging real-world sex videos, and, and we showcased Charlie's blog post yet again. And um, the reason Charlie says pegging can help save the world is because when you are a straight man being pegged by your partner um, with a strap on, um, when you have the opportunity to experience being, as Charlie puts it, the catcher, not the hitter, Boy, oh boy, does that ever give you a completely different perspective and worldview on what it's like to have sex as a woman. All of a sudden, as a man, you understand why we have to be in the mood. Why, when you are the penetratee, as opposed to the penetrator, there's a whole different set of dynamics around trust and receptivity and readiness that have to be thought about completely differently. And, you know, I guarantee as a straight man, you, you will never, you know, think about how your female partner's experience sex in the same way again. Imagine that experience recreated through VR, okay? That's the power in real world sex of creating empathy in a way that I see as being potentially utterly transformative to the way we all have sex and to not just improved sexual relations, but improved sexual relationships and improved relationships overall. This entire episode got me so... Horny? <laughs> I was about to say excited and then be like intellectually excited. Okay. But you just dove right in there. Mm. Um, no, it made me so excited because I feel like for so long porn has just been this box and it's it's meant for one audience and it's assumed to be consumed by only one audience and so many people try and see themselves in it and they they can't mm -hmm. and it seems like everyone we've talked to today is trying to imagine a different more inclusive world of porn now whether or not their ways of trying to get there are actually the most successful route i don't know but i'm just so excited that so many people are trying yeah that people are actually thinking about it trying to re shape the way that we conceive of porn in the first place because you're right i think right now obviously porn still has this really kind of dirty grimy um, reputation and no one wants to admit they watch it or if they do it's such a secretive thing um so to have people who are you know reconceptualizing what that looks like and then also what that could mean for us as a society and a culture if we had healthier ideas about what porn was how will that reflect back on us it seems like the sky's the limit, Karina. It really does. I have a confession to make. Okay. I don't watch porn. That's. I don't think that's a bad thing. I but read, do you think you I don't... read erotic literature. Okay, but do you think if there was porn that you thought was more realistic or, I don't want to use the word healthier, but you could use healthier. 100%. You would watch I, it. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I also am just like, a bookworm geek, so I think that's probably like not that surprising to people who know me. But it's also much easier for me to actually put myself there when I'm reading it mm -hmm. than when I'm watching it, and I'm just distracted by like fake boobs and fake orgasms and fake everything else. I can sort of light up the world in my own head in the direction that I wanted to go. Right, but if we had VR porn, you could be 
interacting. You could help, you know, drive the narrative. If you're looking at porn that, like, Cindy's site has, it's it's so much more authentic. So I think there are options for you if you wanted to try it. Maybe we'll have an episode where we find out what happens after Karina <laughs> dives into the world of porn. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Looks like there's lots of options out there, so I'm very excited. That's it for this week's Love and Sex podcast. A big thank you to our guests, Emma Gray, Cindy Gallup, and Ella Darling. And thanks to our producer, Caitlin Baguki, and our editor, Nick Offenberg. And here's a little reminder that Karina and I are on a mission to spread sex education and positivity. So please find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and give us a review while you're there. It helps other people discover our show, which is basically a public service. You can also send us an email with questions, comments, concerns. Our email address is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. We'll be back with another episode about chastity devices in two weeks. Talk to you then. <laughs>